Welcome, geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of Geek to Me Radio. Tonight, we are joined live by former Color Me Bad frontman Brian Abrams talking about a brand new documentary he's got out that you're going to want to hear about. After that, we'll talk with actor Celia Ow about a brand new movie, A New York Mint, out, as well as her work in Woo Assassins. All that and more, please stand by. We're talking to you. And if you're driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight, listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, celebrating 25 years in broadcasting, hello to you and thank you for tuning in. If you're streaming us on the web, hello to points out there on the internet. We appreciate your listening. No video streaming tonight. My executive producer has the night off. He wanted to spend some time with his father, which of course it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day and happy Juneteenth weekend to everyone out there celebrating. And uh, no video tonight. It's just audio, the good old-fashioned radio like it was meant to be. And we're joined by two great guests. My first one's on the phone right now. He is an internationally recognized two-time Grammy-nominated American Music Award and two-time Soul Train Award-winning R&B pop singer-songwriter with over 12 million albums sold worldwide, three Billboard number 1 Hot 100s. A lot of people will recognize him as the frontman, lead singer for the band Color Me Bad. We've got on the phone right now Mr. Brian Abrams. Thanks much for taking time out of your Sunday to be on air with us. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So this new documentary you've got out, I, I love this kind of stuff because it, it's, it tends to be very inspirational. And that's the kind of thing I think the world needs more of right now. You've got Flowers in the Addict, which uh, the Brian Abrams story, obviously, play on Flowers in the Addict, which I, I, love the, uh, I love the play on words. And that's premiered at a couple awesome. of film festivals already. Talk a little bit about the genesis. Like, how long ago did this, this uh, germ of an idea come into your brain and uh, to where we are now in the project? Well, I've actually had the title Flowers in the Attic, uh, you know, in my heart, in my mind for years. But the film has just been finished, uh, just in time to be put into the Dead Center Film Festival. And uh, it's basically me just trying to talk about my story, talk about addiction and how it has affected my family and me and um, how I got sober in hopes that maybe um, I'm going to help someone else out there that might feel like, you know, they need a little extra push or they feel like they're alone. Um, just, just wanted to be transparent, own all of my mistakes and just say, look, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It can still, you can still get your life back. 
And obviously that's something a lot of people, you, you move into the music space, especially at the level that you hit at. Same with people in Hollywood and entertainment and everything like that. And there are all of a sudden all these new doors that open up to you. There's all sorts of uh, p- people who are trying to influence you. You're going certain ways. Drugs and alcohol is something that a lot of people in your line of work wrestle with. Uh, do you remember the time when you first realized for you it had become a problem? When I realized it had become a problem, I would say whenever I had come off of a tour, we had been touring for about two years straight, and I came home went back to Oklahoma City, where my whole family is originally from, and I was so used to drinking on a daily basis on the road. When I got home, I didn't know how to not do that. It was odd. I I was like reminded that I was in the real world again, and this isn't something that people do every day. So I would say whenever I was wanting to and I was a little embarrassed because I didn't want to constantly be drinking in front of my family, that's when I really thought, okay, this is this is a problem. Yeah, and it's one of the things that luckily a lot of people, too, um, don't have that family support system. So it sounds like your family really did save you in, in a manner of speaking. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of my family actually on both sides uh, have addiction, alcohol problems, mental health issues, and that sort of thing. I'm sure every family does or has someone. But my wife now, the woman that was basically my best friend, she's the one that really kind of stepped in and, you know, genuinely wanted to help me, genuinely wanted to see me, you know, survive this thing and uh, live out to my full potential. And so I just, I, I feel like I owe her. That's also part of the film is I'm thanking her for, you know, believing in me when I didn't believe in myself, loving me when I didn't love myself and seeing the flowers in the attic, so to speak. So obviously I, I'm, I'm immediately reminded of the play flowers in the attic. Is that kind of like, was that play something that resonated with you? And that kind of is kind of why you chose that as your title. Yeah, well, I mean, the the film was, a, you know, the, the flowers in the attic, I thought it was really cool. It had kind of a dark thing to it, but it just, I, I like the title and the movie. Now, my story isn't anything like that movie, <laughs> but just, it's it's just the way that it rung for me and the way it felt, flowers in the attic. It kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of a juxtaposed type of a thing where it's, it's, you're finding the good things in a bad situation as opposed to doing the opposite. And with, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it because obviously this is, so we just had mental health month. I guess it was last month, I think, but a lot of people struggle with this. And it's one of those things where I think the more people talk about it, like you're doing with this documentary, I don't want to say, I, don't, I hate to say it's normalizing it because it's not, it's not normalizing, but it's, it's kind of giving people permission to say, Hey, there's a lot of broken people. You're not alone. And that's one of the reasons I think the stuff like this that you're putting out there is so important. You just said it all. It is actually normalizing it and making people a little more comfortable with talking about it. You know, you see someone in in film or sports or just in any type of entertainment business, and you tend to think that, wow, I bet, you know, they grew up with money or I bet they grew up with a really supportive family. And that's not always the case. My father was murdered when I was two years old, Mm -hmm. so I never really knew him. Um, He had an alcohol problem. From, from what I've been told from my family, my uncle and my aunt 
on my father's side. And then, you know, there's, there's others on the other side, but people don't want to talk about that because they feel that people will think badly of them or badly about their family. And there's so much of it that's just being hidden and not talked about. The more people step up and start to speak about this, the more people will start to feel comfortable about being open and honest about it. And I think that's what's going to help people. You know, these entertainers um, on the road, you hear about these, you know, people that have overdosed or committed suicide on the road. It's because they didn't have anybody to talk to. They didn't have anybody to share it with. They didn't know where to go with that kind of uh that kind of stress in their lives, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so, you know, the, the whole trick is to get people to understand that there's always going to be somebody that will be willing to sit down and talk with you about, about these things you're going through. And we can guarantee you're not the only one going through them. And coming up in the 90s, it's kind of interesting when you think about the, the music of, you know, people have an image of 70s music versus 80s music versus 90s music when a lot of the R&B and hip hop really started to hit, I feel, was in that 90s uh, era. And I don't know if people like, obviously, the idea is in the 80s, everyone was doing cocaine and everyone was, you know, doing drugs and everything. I feel like the 90s, certain aspects of it were trying to at least be, give the appearance of being sanitized, but behind the scenes had much really changed. How about this? You're you're perfectly right on the surface, but behind the scenes, uh, the 90s had a little bit of that 70s and a little bit of that 80s and the drugs that came with both of those decades. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like a combination of all of the above uh, sort of thing. And and being as, as big as you guys were, because like we mentioned when we gave your intro, I mean, all, all the accolades and the hits and the, the charting constantly. Uh, you had the, you were meeting people from all through the music industry. Your, uh, the, the Color Me Bad's music appeared in movies and TV shows and everything like that. You guys played yourselves on an episode of 90210 for crying out loud. I guess uh, when you were... Now, looking to make this documentary, I'm assuming you met people who you said, hey, I'd love to work with this person to, be, to do the video for Flowers in the Addict, or I'd like this person to edit. How did you kind of assemble the team to work on this project with you? Well, um, I just found someone that had already shot some similar type of films, short films or docu-series, people, some people call them, um, just uh, somebody that had already taken the time to put together a type of documentary like that, bringing things. They had actually done um, a film or a docu-series called Killing Pain, and uh, it was about the opioid addiction and, or you know, and, and the opioid epidemic and how it was affecting people's lives. And I just thought I wanted to build on that and kind of step into not just opioids and, and that sort of thing, but alcohol and mental health just kind of all rolled into one because um, I can guarantee you that all these different types, whether it be pills or alcohol or whatever it may be, there's some mental illness or some mental health issues that are, are at the base of that. And the documentary you mentioned premiered at the Dead Center Film Festival. Uh, the film's world premiere was on Friday, June 10th. 
at Harkins Bricktown 16 Theater in Oklahoma um, and also Rodeo Cinema Stockyard City. What uh, when you're releasing this, did you I, again, I'm, I'm kind of a layman, obviously, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Is it going to the film festival circuit? Was it shopped around to obviously Netflix and Amazon? The streaming services are constantly competitive. Uh, what what were the initial phases of this before it got released? And what are the next steps in your mind? That's actually what's happening now, I think, is they're shopping it. Um, it was put in the Dead Center Film Festival to kind of, to kind of shine a light on it, I guess, and to get you know, some, some local people to check it out. The awesome thing about this festival was it changed up a little bit a couple years back when COVID hit. So now they have this virtual. You don't have to be at the actual Dead Center Film Festival in Oklahoma to, to see it. You can actually go to my website or, or uh, Dead Center Film Festival. It'll be showing for another, uh, another day, actually, another day and night. Um, and then they're going to probably shop it to some different networks. But uh, you can go to Brian Abrams or brianabramsmusic.com. And um, it'll it'll tell you how you can order the film and watch it. And it's basically like just a short film condensed version of something we want to take to the next level. And for those of you who might be listening, if you're driving in your car right now, uh, we'll have that link to his website in the show notes. If you're going home, you can listen to this after fact on the in the podcast form, and we'll have a link to brianabramsmusic.com in the show notes. That way you can just click the link if you're listening to this after the fact, or if you can't jot it down, we don't want you to crash and drive your car off the road if you're trying to plug it, plug it into your iPhone as of right now. Yeah. Um, with, with the music scene, it's... Like I said, you're the, the when I think of going, you know, I was in high school and I remember hearing these songs. It's one of those cool things that we had to do. Kids today won't understand. I sound like an old man. Where you hit, have to hit record right if the DJ stops playing, so you can get the uh, the song on tape and then stop it again. That had to have been every high school kid all across the country doing this in the '90s when your songs would come on the radio. Um, talk a little bit about what how how your life changed once you guys really hit. Wow. Um, we were just, that's actually part of what the film is, is talking about, us us not really being prepared. You know, you think you know what to expect because of what you've seen on television, but you really don't have any idea. And it is, it's every kid's dream to want to be famous or to want, you know, everyone to know their band or, you know, li- want to listen to their music. But once you make it to a particular level, the privacy uh, is kind of out the window, you know, suddenly you've got a magnifying glass on you and you've got to watch everything you say and everything you do, because there's always someone watching and there's going to be people that are watching to, to want to praise and maybe talk about positive things. But there's also those people out there that are going to be watching and waiting for something negative they can build on. And so you just have to accept. And we didn't, we were young. And, you know, again, I ended up, with an alcohol problem um, and, and just wasn't aware. I thought I was, I wasn't breaking any laws. I was, you know, thought I was handling my business and everything. Okay. But it just kind of, it, it, it took over and we just weren't prepared for what we had ahead of us or what I had ahead of me. And you talk about being so young. You, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you guys first performed together in a school talent show. And a lot of the, the music at the time was kind of let uh, Sam Cooke, Four Tops kind of influence. Was that the kind of music that you grew up listening to, or was that something you were introduced to? Talk a little bit about how you developed your sound. 
the uh, the music that we actually sang together because you know we all knew each other from a very young age i knew kevin in the sixth grade uh, mark and sam actually went to elementary school together and we all ended up going to the same high school now i was listening to new edition bobby brown but my bigger influences like journey the Commodores, mm. um, you know, all of the big 70s. Like, I listened to a lot of 70s music. Um, Al Green, it was all over the place, very eclectic. But the four of us, we wanted to do that old school, like Sam Cooke, doo-wop kind of music because of all the harmonies. So it's kind of like we found a new love, and we kind of learned as we went along. We started digging through these old albums and, and finding, you know, when you could still go to a record store and buy an actual wax records um we would go digging through albums and just looking for these old songs that had these harmonies in them and anyone that we could find that that was catchy or that we really thought was a nice tune um we wanted to learn it and we wanted to sing it at a talent show or in the hallways at school or just wherever we could find a place where there was some nice acoustics that we could sing some harmonies and for those of you just now tuning in, perhaps we're talking with Color Me Bad frontman Brian Abrams about his new documentary, uh, Flowers in the Attic, the Brian Abrams story. Uh, I'm going to take a real quick commercial break. Are you okay to stick with me for just a little bit longer? Yes, sir. Perfect. We're going to take that quick commercial break. We're going to come right back, chat more with Brian Abrams on the big 550 KTRS. You're listening to geek to me Radio. Please stand by. Hey, God, Brian, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Listen to Geek to Me Radio and then try to take over the world. Narf! The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. I want to make sure we tell you about our official movie sponsor, Marcus Theaters. If you go to the website, marcustheaters.com, you can find the location of the Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern closest to to you uh they've got locations all over uh arkansas colorado georgia minnesota right here in missouri nebraska louisiana new york pennsylvania texas uh, if you're wanting a good place to go see a movie in the best possible surroundings marcus theaters and movie tavern should be your pick it feels like summer blockbuster movie is back we've got Lightyear is out uh next weekend we've got elvis on the big screen obviously tickets are on sale for thor love and thunder jurassic World, Dominion, and Top Gun Maverick still doing gangbusters at the box office. If you want to get out and see one of these movies, do it in style. Do it at Marcus Theaters. You can also download the Marcus Theaters app for your smartphone. That way, if you're out and about, you hit the app, find the location closest you are, buy your tickets right there, get your concessions online so they're ready and waiting for you when you arrive. Always a great time to go see movies, and when you do, you want to see it in the best possible surroundings. Marcus theater.com is the website again we always say it's the best movie going experience in the galaxy chatting for a little bit longer here with my guest brian abrams from color me bad his brand new documentary flowers in the attic out chatting about music chatting about his recovery and uh he's he's got it all covered right here and we were talking before we went to break about the songs you uh kind of grew up listening to and kind of what influenced your group obviously there were a lot of number one hits you guys had from, obviously, I Want to Sex You Up. You had uh, all these charted songs that came and it hit the, the big on the billboard. You're back into singing songwriting now. You've got a new song out that's part of the documentary. Talk a little bit about Because of You. Because of You is probably my the, the song that I've written that I hold closest to my heart. It's a song that I wrote for my wife. 
basically thanking her for, for being there for me and believing in me and helping me, you know, kind of helping me find my way. And so uh, it's actually in the film at the end of the film. And uh, it's, it's out now. So you can go to any music platform out there, or you can go to brianabramsmusic.com or just Brian Abrams. But it's actually, I, I feel like, there's there's not enough of the balladeers out there anymore you know all of these songs and i and i love music of, of all sorts but there's not enough of the old like crooning style you know just really pouring your heart out type of songs out there anymore they're hard to come by and so i just really wanted to do something like that to kind of capture that old that old sound but with the new technology and the new software and you know, just a, it's a it's a really really beautiful song, and I assume that's up on Spotify. People can get there, Apple iTunes, things like that. Yes, yep, all music platforms they can go and check it out. And uh, that one's in the film, and I actually have a, 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 some music coming out in some other movies. There's a movie called "Ask Me to Dance" uh, that's got one of my songs in it. So I'm actually I'm, I'm I picked a good time to get sober. I guess <laughs> you know I, <laughs> I, like I got it. sober right as. COVID was hitting and uh, it gave me an opportunity to stay home and spend time with my family, but also just to get back into writing again and just trying to get, get my music out there. Um, it's, it's what I love to do more so even than performing is writing and, and placing music in movies and film. And so that's just, it's what I love to do. That's interesting, too, because when we talk to uh, musicians, composers, singers, uh, whoever they might be we've had on the show in the past, I'll ask them, what if if they had to give up one aspect of it, what would it be? And some of them say, well, you know, I I like performing. It's that energy of the crowd. And some people are like, I like the songwriting. Other people say, I just want to play my music. So if you had to give one of the things up, it would be live performing. And so you could focus more on the songwriting aspect, do you think? That would be exactly what it is. I'm a big kid, and I love being in that room with all the big grown-up toys and recording and experimenting <laughs> with sounds. And just that's my fav- absolute favorite thing to do is the creation part of it. And with the songs that Color Me Bad had for hits, obviously I mentioned I Want to Sex You Up because that was the one that was on nonstop on the radio uh, in high school. But we also obviously uh, I Adore Mia Moore, Slow Motion, All for Love. Was there ever a song that you guys had that, you know, you may have released an entire album and one of the ones that charts and you're like, oh, that's not the song I would have thought would have charted off the album. Were you ever surprised or did you kind of know the ones that were going to hit were the ones that were going to hit? No, you actually don't. I mean, I actually... I cried when I found out that the version of I want to sex you up that they were going to use for the movie. Like I, I threw a little temper tantrum. I was like so (laughs) freaked out that because I thought that was, we were supposed to be laying the demo for it. So I didn't get to go back in and re-record the vocals. And so I lost my mind for about two days thinking my career's over and I hadn't even gotten it started because people are going to hear this horrible version of the song because I just, I wasn't happy with what I had done. And it just goes to show, you know, and my manager at the time even said, you know, you never know what's going to hit what you don't think is good. The whole entire world might want to argue that point with you. And I have to say, um, it, it it that song took off and put us on the map and i was i was scared to death when they released it and obviously uh someone knew what they were doing then because it did obviously did really really well for for all of you yeah they 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 knew what they were doing for sure new jack city man it was yeah it's a it's you know old drug mob movies and 
And uh, I just I was just happy to be a part of it. What a cast in that movie, too. My goodness. Uh, but right. the, the other yeah. movies hey. you guys have been attached to and the TV shows, I mean, as recently as Glee, uh, which was on just, it feels like it was just five years ago. I know it's a little bit more, but uh, they, they covered songs there because they had a bevy of songs on that show all the time. Um, when you when you hear you know your what song. My favorite show is, my what? favorite show that, that I got to place music in was actually a, a show that's out now called Young Sheldon. I don't oh. know if you're familiar with that show, but they've actually had uh, several of the songs in there. And that is such a funny show, man. Yeah. I mean, obviously for those who were listening, that's the Chuck Lorre kind of spinoff from the big bang theory. Uh, but yeah, it's a really smart show and it's, I love the, that aesthetic, the whole, you know, it, I, I hate to say period piece because again, that makes me feel old, but it's from the, obviously when Sheldon was growing up, but yeah, the, the music they've used in that it's, it's nice to hear those, some of the songs again, that's one of the great reasons to watch the show. Yeah, yeah, I I loved the show and and um I'm I'm still a big fan of it actually. I love the 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 uh that's what did you call it the time pieces. I, I actually period love, piece, yeah. Yeah, the period piece. <laughs> I love those types of movies. Yeah, I, I often when I think about that period piece is like uh that Benedict Cumberbatch movie who was a spy in the 60s, but then people are telling pointing out 80s movies with that aesthetic. I'm like, "No, that's not right. That that can't be a period piece." No, no. Um, but that's just that's just vanity on my part, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we're kind of well. I'm not sure how old you are, but I guess I'm getting to that age where I, I have to accept that I'm kind of considered old school a little bit. So, but that's okay. I'm good with that. No, and you're still churning out some great content, and so old school, I think, never goes out of style. So I think you're good. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I appreciate that. No problem. And if people want to keep up with you, we, we mentioned your website earlier, brianabramsmusic.com. Again, if you're listening to this after the fact in the podcast form, scroll down to the bottom of the page. There's a link right there in the show notes. If people want to keep up with you online, those social media handles, are you very active on social media? At Brian Abrams Music. At Brian Abrams Music or uh, just Brian Abrams. Uh, they can also go to Flowers in the Attic. Uh, dot org if they want to check out some of the stuff we're trying to get jump started as far as the nonprofit goes um yeah that's that's what's going on right now very cool sounds like you're uh keeping very busy uh continued success to you uh continued luck on your sobriety i know uh from friends of mine who have gone through it's an everyday struggle so i i uh, my prayers and thoughts are with you that you can keep that up Thank you so much, man. And I really do appreciate you having me on. I, I really do appreciate it. Anytime. Love to have you back on. Uh, thank you for your time tonight and uh, be well. All right. You too, man. Have a great night. You too. There he goes. Brian Abrams will have that link up uh, for both the uh, the documentary as well as the website in the show notes if you're listening to this after the fact. We're going to take a real quick commercial break once again. Come back, chat with actor Celia Ow all about her movie in a New York Minute, her work on Woo Assassins, and more. Please stand by. Hi, it's Parmesh Chino from Netflix's Centaur World, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. We are back. Want to make sure we tell you about our official comic book sponsor, Bugs Comics and Games. BugsComicsandGames.com is the website. Just ran into Larry. He was set up at MightyCon here in St. Louis. If you were at that event, I hope you had a great time. It was right over there in the St. Charles Convention Center. 
and he was up there, had a lot of people coming by. It's always, I'll see him set up, and I've been to the store, obviously, but he's got a whole new box of new stuff I've never seen before. It's like, where did you get this? He just got a collection of uh, of foreign comic books, like the, the larger size magazines that they have over in England. He had Thor and Hulk and Spider-Man, all these other stories. Uh, and it's it's always cool to see the new stuff. So if you've been to Bugs, maybe you haven't been there lately, go back and check out what he might have that's brand new. All sorts of collectibles, toys. He's got uh, cards and all those things you might want to be checking out. Maybe add to your collection as well. And, of course, join the Avengers Club while you're there. At the way, it's a great way to save money on your hobby uh, each week you get to save money on your new comics, your back issues, your supplies, your aforementioned toys, collectibles, and games, whatnot. And be sure to give their page a like on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and look for Bugs Comics and Games there. I know that Terry, uh, t- Terry, it's a combination of Larry and Tim, the two people who own it. Larry and Tim would greatly appreciate you giving their Facebook page a like as well. If you want to get into the hobby, if you want to start brand new, or if you're a longtime collector and want to add to your existing collection, maybe you want to sell your collection, check them out, BugsComicsAndGames.com. Very pleased to have them as the official comic book sponsor here on geek me Radio. All right, uh, we are going to roll with that right into my next guest. Right now we're talking with actor Celia Ow about a brand new project that she's got out in a New York minute as of May 3rd. You can catch this movie on demand, and I highly recommend you do. Celia, thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you've uh, done so much TV work, and you've done film work and everything like that. You've got this project out now. I looked on IMDb, and it lists in a New York minute as something that came out in 2019, but obviously with COVID, things have been shuffled all over the board. So how long ago did you actually start working on this project? Uh, We actually filmed in a New York minute 2018. Okay. Uh, I think like end of 2017 into 2018. And then, hold on, let me backtrack this. (laughs) Yes, end of 2017 into 2018. And then we had like uh, our our premiere and the the festival run in 2019 and then COVID happened. Yeah. It kind of uh, threw a lot of projects into disarray and everything like that. But I guess the good thing is it was already filmed and in the can and ready to go. So you didn't have to (laughs) shut down the middle of production. So that's helpful. So now that this is getting back out there, is it one of those things as an actor, as someone who's put their heart into a, a project, is it hard to build that hype back up? Because like you said, you hit the festival circuit, you you did all the stuff, the, the premiere and everything, and now it's coming back. Is it hard to kind of reshift your mind and your focus onto this project that you already basically had done three years ago? Um, for me, I don't think so, because honestly, where did the last two years go? We, like it just blinked and went by yeah. and nothing happened much. So um, I'm just happy that the film got distribution because not a lot of times indie films don't really get the attention um, and they get distributed and then people get to see it. So I'm just uh, super proud that the film got distribution and now it's on VOD and people can actually have a chance to watch it. And to your point, I think a lot of these big budget Hollywood productions, I think especially COVID kind of smashed a lot of their realities because they think anything they put out is just going to do gangbusters. Now with the, the theater shutting down during COVID, I feel like because we have streaming services and, you know, on-demand video and everything, I think a lot of people's focus has been more towards the smaller indie projects and people are appreciating them more because they're more story-driven, there's more character focus as opposed to we get X big-name actor, we throw in all these special effects and we're going to make bank on this movie. I think that is subtly changing, especially in the past couple of years. You know, I think both is needed, right? Um, we need, you know, the 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 big budget, you know, 
superhero fighting crime to make to be entertaining to feel good right also like but our our film in the new york minute has more story based where we see a side of story where these three females and things that they're going through and it's not actually it's not a light film it's not something that you get to laugh about right so i think we need a balance in both when people need entertainment when they just need an escape definitely i think those films are necessary and films like ours have story driven and i guess in a way, uh, we can have more empathy towards these character and learn about each other's lives. And for those of you who are listening right now, In a New York Minute follows three strangers as they accidentally discover the solution to their problems lies in a single pregnancy test. Amy is haunted by a past breakup that is manifested into an eating disorder. Angel is caught between a loveless marriage to an American businessman and a passionate affair with a Chinese writer. Nina moonlights as an escort in order to support herself. It's it's these, like we said, character-driven stories I think are really drawing people in. Uh, it's I love seeing the indie films because, in my opinion you can put them up against some big blockbusters and they, the story, that's what I, I like as a good story. I really don't care about all the other stuff. Not that I'm obviously, I'm a huge Marvel comics fan, just saw Dr. Strange and everything, but these, these character of indie films, I think are really the backbone of the film industry right now. Talk a little bit about your experience filming this particular project. Oh, actually it's great. Um, I first got approached with, uh, because one of the producers on the project was, uh, was someone that I know. And they're like, hey, can you take a look at this project and send us a tape? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then when I read about it, I was like, wow, it's kind of like a New York I Love You, you know, um, Paris Jatem. And like little story, but in those, like New York I Love You and Paris Jatem, they're so small and you don't dive into these characters. Yeah. And in your minute, you actually dive into like the backbone of the their character's family uh, relationship and struggles that they go through. And I was like, this is awesome. And then having the the pregnancy test tied in, it's not something like it's forced, you know, it was just so happened, you know, that they were figuring a way out with a pregnancy test and like kind of helping these characters move through and, and finding it, their freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and this, this movie is like uh, the director, Monzi Lee, and she also goes by Mandy. It's her. She's a first-time feature director. She's yes. directed short before, and this is the first time her writing a feature film. And I'm super proud of young talent being able to do stuff and being also like validated because sometimes it's discouraging when you when you put your heart and soul into something and and nothing happens to it. And uh, par- also partially, the the film is mostly a female department head leading team. And crew as well, like our DP Mago, she's a badass cinematographer. Um, Lisa, our costume designer, um, uh, our props, set design, they're all females. And I think it's, you can also see it on screen. And there's a, um, a level of trust, uh, like on screen and behind the scenes in the film. And in fact, uh, Talking Pictures called in a New York minute, one of the top 10 directorial debuts that they've seen in almost a decade. So that's high praise right there for, uh, like you said, a, a brand new filmmaker and everything like that. And I feel like Hollywood, at least from, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like they're doing their best to give more opportunities there to first time people to, to allow women to take more of a spotlight role than they ever have. So I, I feel like this is a great time, but as someone like you who is in the industry is that just the outsider? Is that the gloss that everyone's putting on for Hollywood? Or is that actually some real change that we're seeing? Well, we're definitely seeing real changes on us. And like, we have like female directors like Lulu Wang, we have um, Diane Pegasus, and then we have Deborah Chow, who's doing all the, the Star Wars, the IP for Star Wars right now. And 
that was never seen, never done before, right? We usually don't give as much opportunities to uh, female, especially Asian female directors. And that's definitely changing. I also still think that, you know, in the indie film world, we have a lot of talent, a lot of, like you're saying, young up and coming talent. We need to nurture them and give them an outlet and somewhere, you know, to showcase their films. Because let's be real, like there's only X amount of film that could be in the theaters or X amount of films that, you know, can be shown. And now with streaming, with like video on demand and stuff, it, it opens a wider door so then their talent can be seen by a wider audience. And you mentioned Star Wars. I was thinking uh, on your uh, resume, obviously, you got to play, uh, you play some badass characters yourself in Gotham. So you had your foot in the DC pool. Uh, you were in Iron Fist. So obviously, you had the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we haven't seen you in Star Wars yet. One of the characters a lot of people are clamoring to see would be Dr. Afra. And I, I'm just saying, if, the, if a part are opened up in the Star Wars universe, is the Star Wars universe something you'd also like to get involved in? Of course. Can you now like just put it out in that universe that Celia will get like a Star Wars gig? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're saying it now. Dave Filoni, if you're listening, uh, I think Celia would make a great Dr. Afra if you decide to introduce her <laughs> in one of the upcoming series. I, just, just my opinion. <laughs> Can't hurt to put it out there, right? <laughs> yes, put it out in the universe. With, and I noticed, too, you've got a great deal of range in your resume from playing action roles to playing, you know, these these drama parts like in a New York Minute uh, comedy aspect, too. Do you find that you gravitate more towards one genre or do you feel more comfortable in one genre over another? Well, not necessarily. I mean, the reason why I want to be an actor is so I can play pretend and get paid for it and do all and experience different characters. Right. Yeah. So- I mean, I don't think there's one thing that I'd be like, I prefer to do over another. Um, I believe in like, you know, trying to be as much of a chameleon as you can as an actor. And that's important. So uh, throw at me the genres and hopefully people will pick me for these genres and, you know, cast me in them. And I'm down to to try everything. What, uh, you mentioned chameleon. It's one of the things I think of. Uh, one of my very favorite actors is Jeffrey Rush, because you'll watch a picture and be like, oh, oh my gosh, he was in that movie because he'll take on this this persona and he will he swings between the different roles. I think that's obviously quite important as an actor to have that ability to kind of, as you said, be a chameleon. That's kind of the job description. Yeah, it's amazing when you can see someone transform completely, you know. Someone else like Christian Bale, you look at him, he's like changing even like physically yeah. how he was the film. Exactly. Yeah. When you were growing up, I know you were, so you were born, if I'm not mistaken, you were born in Hong Kong, moved to Brooklyn. At what age approximately did you come here? Uh, like three and a half, four. Okay. And did you, I'm just kind of wondering what influenced your desire to be an actor? Was it, was it uh, something like a movie you saw or a particular actor that you remember? Or was it just kind of, you had this desire, like you said, to play, kind of play pretend and want to get paid for it? <laughs> um, you know, growing up, my parents owned a video store, but. Oh, cool. It was never like, you know, in in a Asian family household to talk about, like, let's, let's have you explore the arts. I, I studied law in the beginning. Then I went into um, business and then advertising and marketing. And actually, as I was working in advertising and marketing, I think once my, my first class that I took, we went to the Museum of TV and Radio. And within there, they were talking about how 30 seconds can change people's perception. 30 seconds can, a 30 second jingo can subconsciously kind of, uh, you know, 
brainwash you in a way that you think of like what in the 90s people hear anytime like running horses sound you think of marlboro cigarettes and you think of a cool cowboy you think of the mcdonald jingle and you suddenly you're like burgers and fries that's what i need i was like wow that's kind of like a superpower i mean <laughs> i've watched superhero films growing up and you're like that's not real you can't do that but hey if i worked in advertising i kind of have this like mysterious superpower in 30 seconds to change people's uh, perspective and then after i was like what can i do in turning the 30 second into something that's positive that can help people then i realized that corporate america there's so many levels you have to go through that the creativity is still kind of hindered right right yeah sure a little bit by by corporate like you know what your client wants and stuff and then I discovered film and TV. Now, growing up, I'm I got influenced by TV and films a lot. Like I see a Law and Order, lawyers, you know, taking out criminals. I was like, I want to be a lawyer. That's one of the reasons why I studied law in the beginning. I was like, I want to be a prosecutor. I want to put the bad guys in jail and help the good guys, you know. And then saw you know a show about police officers helping fight crimes. I'm like, I want to be a police officer. Seeing a firefighter, I'm like, wow, they're saving people. I want to do that, but I realized that. I don't think I'm fit to do any of that. <laughs> uh, but as an actor, we can use the st uh, the power of storytelling to influence people and show the humanity and of these careers and these professions. Like you know, you play a cop on on television. You know, you play a, a lawyer. And as they influenced me when I was a kid, I was hoping you know whatever story and stuff that I work with and work on can influence you know the next generation and young people and happen feel like they're being seen that they're not alone and you know maybe troubles that they've gone through even like in the characters for in a new york minute giving them a voice and so people don't feel so alone that there's no representation for them in the world what's your process as an actor when you are going to take on a role be it like you said if it, let's say you're playing a lawyer if you're playing a, a a street level enforcer like in gotham when you're working as a henchwoman in a gang or something like in a new york minute what's your process for getting into a character you, you kind of just dive into the script and the writing do you do like a whole character thing do you do research other people who have been in this kind of talk a little bit if you would about getting into a certain character's mindset um it changes depending on the on the job um i i study with my um coach anthony apeson and he's always told us like try to close your eyes and imagine the scene that you're walking in imagine what the character is going through and when you open your eyes it will become a lot more genuine than you're trying to read it just straight it off the page hmm. um, so i already i that's the process sometimes i use when i get stuck for sure i think that's great advice um for in a New York minute, Mandy, our director, uh, has a film for me to watch. And <laughs> it was a Hong Kong film. And she was like, I want you to watch this film and study the character because how she feels like she's helpless, lonely and trying to find her way. Mm -hmm. And was like, I feel like that's like the core of what Nina was or Nina is. And uh, I was like, sure. She did not tell me that it's a thriller with scary aspects it was uh, on the film so she sends me the link to the film i was watching it in my hotel room while shooting something else in atlanta and i couldn't sleep all night because the girl <laughs> decapitated killed and then this is like this detector like detective trying to figure out her case and i'm like great now oh. we're locked 
upstairs in my hotel room. <laughs> I am so scared of any little sound that was like rattling in the room. And I'm like, oh, someone's going to get me. I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> Sleeping with a baseball bat right beside you. <laughs> I can't. I don't have it in the hotel room. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, my gosh. But uh, yeah, that's how for in the New York minute, I got into character, like talking to Mandy about what she wants, what this character goes through. And then we had rehearsal days with Roger, who plays Ian. Um, so Roger and I would like work through our characters and figure out like, you know, what our relationship would be like. And I'm sure you get a little more time to prepare for something like on a movie like this, like in a New York Minute versus if you're doing a TV series, especially if it's just one or two episodes. Uh, but some of the obviously some of the TV episodes you've been in quite a bit, for example, Lodge 49, Woo Assassins, you had quite a bit of uh, screen time and a lot of episodes in those. Is it do you find yourself? I don't want to say more comfortable, but is it um, less stressful if you are into a character and you're doing several episodes of a TV series versus you've got this one movie to do it? Is it is, is one more or less stressful for you as a performer? We're going to come right back after this quick commercial break. Get that answer from Celia Ow. You're listening to geek to me Radio. Please stand by. Hey guys, this is Raul Coley and I play Dr. Ravi Chakrabarty on the CW's iZombie and you're listening to geek to me Radio. We are back. geek to me Radio brought to you by our main premier sponsor, the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. Make sure you check out discoverstcharles.com. Go to the website, plan your trip there, discoverstcharles.com. As we always say, it's an historically good time. Before we took that last commercial break, we're chatting with Celia Ow, and we'd asked her about the stress of preparing for a role in a film versus already doing one in an ongoing series. I think it's all about like the time, right? Even though the running time on screen on a film is shorter than a TV show, you still spend a lot of time on set and getting to live in the character's shoes. Um in a TV show, it since it's longer, there's time to build more layers as you go with the character as well. Like Alice Ba from Lodge 49, you know, we, we are adding layers, different layers as we go. And in season two, we all came back and it's like family already. Yeah. We built the report being like a family working together. So when season two came along, we all like jumped right back in. We know what we're doing. So that's fun. That's, I wouldn't say easy, but it's just like, it feels they're uh, comfortable and, and there's familiarity to that. And then like Wool Assassins, we shot for three and a half months and it was in Vancouver. So we all kind of, the whole cast end up being a real family. We'll cook for each other. We'll go do things together because mm. we don't know anybody in Vancouver. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for each other and we have each other as uh, literally there would be days during uh, Wool Assassins where I'm not working and they're like, oh my God, it's a really long day. I'm like, okay, everybody, dinner's ready. Come home. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think about too how much stuff has changed because, you know, even like 15 years ago, if you were going to be doing a movie or TV series, LA or New York, now it seems like everything is Atlanta and Vancouver. It's it's very interesting how stuff has shifted. Do you have, uh, as far as living-wise, do you have a, a preference, like as far as a city that you just feel more is home for you? Well, I'm a New Yorker, so New York is always home for me. But I don't mind traveling for work. It's also great they get to explore a city while working. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, there's on-site shoots and everything like that, too. What What is the most, I guess, I don't want to say, I'm making sure I'm phrasing this correctly. Uh, what is the most intriguing 
location you've ever gotten to shoot in as far as a city or a place or a region? Uh, in the beginning of 2019, was it 2019, 2020, uh, we went to India in Dharmasala to shoot in, in another indie film. And that is something that I've never done before. I've never been to India and it's so fascinating and seeing all the culture and the beauty and, you know, experiencing the food. And I just went shopping nonstop and was like, I want to buy everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, seeing the mountain ranges in India, that's beautiful. And then we were um, staying in a town where the Dalai Lama's from. Oh, wow. For, and so like getting to learn a little bit about Buddhism and stuff. It's also interesting. And I think religion, food, has a lot to tie in with their culture. So, um, yeah, I think those are fun, exotic places to go to. You've also worked as a writer and director. Uh, you've got a couple projects there and you're about both distraction and 2017 extraction. Do you, I know since 2017, it's been mostly acting though, was directing and, and writing something you kind of wanted to try and you didn't care for. Or is it just, you don't have time you're acting in all these different projects. And that's something you do kind of want to circle back and do more of. I mean, like what I told you earlier, right? Trying to trying to convince people and and my superpower storytelling and changing people's mind. Just as an actor, I don't think it's enough, right? You have to write, produce, and like if you can direct your film, that'd be great too. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been directing as much. Um, just partially, I don't have anything in particular that I was like, oh, I want to direct now, and I can have the funds to do so. But I'm actually developing stuff currently. Um, I'm working on a, on a TV show that me and, uh, my creative partner, Mickey Ishikawa put together and that we're we, knock on wood, fingers crossed that we got it going. We have, we just signed a, a development deal. Oh, so congratulations. Thank you. So hopefully, um, that will work out. And then I'm with my other friend and working on a feature film. I'm not the best writer out there. So I come, I am the one that usually come out with the concept. I wait, I write pages and pages of how I foresee the film go. And then I need someone to write the dialogue. So you're the big picture person. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And then you'd have someone who you rely on to fill in details. I think that's a great partnership. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my writer right now, Angela, she's, she's great. She's a good friend. And she's like, I got you. I know what you're thinking. Let's write this down on the page. As someone who's performed with a lot of talented actors and you've worked with a lot of great uh, writers and directors yourself, do you have someone who is on your bucket list? There is an actor and a director who at some point in your career, you feel that you need to work with this person. Oh my God. There's so many of them. How do, where do I start? Um, one of which is for me is Michelle Yeoh. Cause I grew up watching her and she's oh, yeah. such a, um, there were multiple times that I was like auditioning things that they're like, oh, Michelle Yeoh's. And I'm like, oh, I got <laughs> to work with her. And uh, Meryl Streep is someone that I looked up to. I loved her when she was in like the Devil Wears Prada. Mm -hmm. And then transform from film to film and talking about being a chameleon. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Meryl Streep was, it's amazing. Um, and director wise, I was like, I worked with some really cool new directors recently and i i'm hoping they'll blossom and i get to work with them again on bigger projects um i mean like a dream director it's so hard there's so many out there that i, I think are so talented mm, like i would love to work with i'm trying to think of like which one if i get to pick out of everybody like i think like you know 
for for example, I feel like this is such a cliche. Like people love Scorsese's work, right? Sure. And I like the characters that he built. I think it's amazing. He was a producer on a film that I did uh, back a while back, but never got to work with him in uh, in that kind of uh, way where he's directing mm. me. I'd love to dive in to see like what these director thinks and like how they force like how they see the script and then the picture that they they put together i find that super fascinating i worked with um uh, tony k who did american history x oh yeah on my first speaking role in the film and he taught me so much just like talking to him and learning like where how like things like he sees it in his head and then seeing the end product you're like oh my god this is amazing i get why you know, he's so talented and brilliant. And I'm sure we'll see much more from you as this goes on. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be rooting for you. If I, if I see you in a project, I'm like, oh, let's see if Michelle's, oh, she's in the credit. Yes. She'll be, she'll be working with Michelle uh, or something like that <laughs> on these feature films. Now I'm going to, I'm going to be watching intently every time something comes out with you. Uh, again, if you're listening right now in a New York minute is available on digital on demand, as of May 3rd, so you can go right now if you're just hanging out after you get done listening to this, go check that out. Where can people keep up with you on social media? Are you very active on social media, a website for you, or anything like that? Okay, you can find me across the platforms with the same handle, at It's Celia Al. Um, I'm on like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm not good with Snapchat, but I'm on handles in the show notes my thanks again to both my guests we've had brian abrams talking about his documentary that we'll have a link for that out as well celia al in a new york minute and obviously you can catch around woo assassins thanks to all my sponsors marcus theaters bugs comics and games and the city of st charles the greater st charles convention and visitors bureau thank you to all of you for listening and if you would make sure you're following me across social media on facebook.com slash geek me radio give the website at hit geeksmeradio.com we've got our preview i should say our reviews of elvis and light up until next week my friends thank you 1991 good night hey kids are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from amazon hi i'm chucky wanna play well don't be selfish share some of that money with us before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say Referral geek to me Radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.